Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for the way you led us in worship to bring glory to Jesus' name. It's very relevant to what we're talking about this morning, and um, you guys have done a great job. Uh, we've been doing a series, and um, this series has been out of a book uh, called How Not to Read the Bible. This is it here. And uh, today is the last sermon in this series. And, and the purpose of this series is to be um, looking at the Word of God and looking at some of the prickly accusations of the world or the challenging verses in Scripture and giving clarity and giving us confidence in God's Word and therefore confidence in God's character that He truly is good. And I hope you've received that from this series, but I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen. You might have missed some. The first week, uh, Kate and Kathy would have preached at different congregations talking, I think it was Kate and Kathy, both of you did it or only one of you? Where's Kathy? Both did it, I was right, okay. And um, they talked about how to read the Bible and there's some great tips in there about how to read the Bible, I encourage you to look at that. And then and we went into um, science versus faith and often the world tries to pin those two against each other and, and Kathy, you did an incredible job of, of showing what is science and, and what is scientism and I loved the kettle analogy. I, and I said to Kathy, you are Kathy Clarity. You always explain things with clarity. And so that kettle analogy was, was brilliant. I encourage you to go listen uh, to that sermon as well. And then we had uh, some other prickly challenging uh, ones. We had slavery. And um, Dan, our modern day William Wilberforce, <laughs> he did a great job of explaining that God has never permitted uh, slave trading, that he has never, ever, in fact, that he was, was the one that uh, proclaimed that, that all are free in Christ. And um, he talked about how some amazing uh, people in history who were Christians and their Christian convictions drew them towards ending slavery. Um, and he pointed us towards some of the challenges we have in our society now, one of them being modern day slavery, in fact. So we did a great job there. And then we had Cameron who talked about, um, is God violent? And um, I didn't get to listen to him, but I read his notes, and I think he did a great job. It's a very hard one to explain properly, and um, yeah, he did a really good job there. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. And um, then we had women, and, and Kathy did an amazing job of, of showing how uh, Jesus particularly the way that he treated women and the way that they were there right at, at the time where he was resurrected. They were the first witnesses, even though in that culture they wouldn't have been considered credible witnesses. This is our God that, that in Christ, male and female uh, are equal before God. Uh, and that has been through all generations and through all types of societies where women have been mistreated. So a lot there, but I encourage you, this is not an intellectual exercise. It is, partly, but it would draw you to see that God is good and his ways are good and that it would draw you to be able to be equipped to have an answer for the faith, a defense for the faith. You know, in First Peter, it talks about having a defense for the faith. The, the purpose of that defense, though, is to bring people to Jesus. And, and if you have been listening to this series and you've been particularly interested, then, then God may be showing you that you have a gift or that you have a, a desire to, to be someone that provides a defense, that answers those questions. So I encourage you to fan that into flame, do some more research, read some more books, grab this book and read it for yourself. But today we're doing a, a very easy one, is the Bible intolerant? 
And, and we're going to look at that. And I'm just going to pray before we start. Lord, I thank you that today, that by your spirit, you will speak to people's hearts and you will show them, Lord Jesus, that you are the name above every name, that under no name apart from Jesus can man be saved, that you truly are God, that you truly are Lord, that you were the only one that could make a way for us to be right with the Father. I pray that that would uh, penetrate people's hearts wherever they're at this morning and they would come to know that that is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I want to read a few verses, and they're going to be up on the screen, about this idea of the Bible being intolerant, and some of these verses sound pretty intolerant within our culture. The first one's from John fourteen six, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And then we see in John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Today, I want to take you on a journey of addressing a few questions that come up when we think about if the Bible is intolerant. I want to talk about tolerance. I want to talk a little bit about subjective and objective truth. I want to answer the question, are all religions the same? And I want to talk about how there are false Jesuses and and false gospels. And then I want to point you to Jesus to show you that he truly is like no other and that he is the only way because he is the only solution to our problem. Firstly, when we look at tolerance, I don't know about you, but I I think we live in a society where tolerance is one of the greatest virtues of our time. It's considered to be tolerant uh, is to be accepting and loving and educated. And intolerance is one of, if not considered, the worst sin of our time. To be intolerant is to be divisive, hateful, and narrow-minded. I have a quote that summarizes this from Charles Colson. I encourage you to go look at his story. Um, he speaks um, about the, the state of, of our culture. And he says this, When the God of the Bible is rejected, people choose a new God. The postmodern age has anointed secular intolerance as its God. Tolerance once meant listening respectfully to all points of view, freely discussed in our common search for the truth. But the creed for the new God of tolerance is that knowing truth is impossible. So everyone is is free to think and act as he likes, with no exception. Those who have the audacity to believe that they know the truth particularly if they think God has revealed it to them, are not tolerated. The result is that those who crowned the new God of tolerance have become the absolute arbiters of culture. The new God of tolerance become, in the guise of liberalism, an absolute tyrant. What is he saying here? There is a new God, and it's secular intolerance. Knowing truth 
is impossible. And this results in everyone being free to think and act as they like. And it leads to intolerance towards religions that make absolute statements or any worldview that makes absolute statements about truth, especially Christianity in the West. And the fruit of this is a tyrant behavior, cruel, oppressive behavior. There's actually the intolerance towards these, these statements of truth. And so how did we get here? Well, the idea of living in a postmodern world is, is that there's this emphasis on my truth. We all have our own truth rather than the pursuit of the truth. This can often be categorized as subjective truth versus objective truth. And objective truth is factual. It is absolute and it corresponds to reality. And it is separate and independent to anyone's feelings or biases. Subjective truth means that there are many truths because it is based off an individual's perspective, feeling or opinions. My truth the truth. Those who adopt truth as purely subjective deliver a message that sounds a little bit like this. You can't say you know the truth. We all need to find our truth and let people do what's best for them as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. You've probably heard that. This is especially in the context of people's personal lives, their moral choices. Don't tell me how to live. They view absolute statements such as there is male and female as bigoted, hateful, divisive and intolerant. You know, we live in a time where an absolute truth, a claim to an absolute truth is not tolerated. And there is an attack on, on the truth. But we as God's people, the way that we determine truth is not subjective, but it is objective in the sense that God is the truth, that he defines what is true. He defines what is reality. And he has revealed his truth through his word by his spirit. And that is how we come to know truth. You can see these different worldviews are at conflict with each other. I'm not trying to make it out that we should feel sorry for ourselves as Christians. Jesus made it very clear. The world will hate you because of me, because they hated me. We know that the gospel is offensive. We know that it is a stumbling block to those who are perishing. That's not to say that we add to the offense by being sinful, annoying, arrogant people. But the reality is that the gospel is offensive. The reality is that absolute true statements are offensive in this time, and they've been offensive throughout all of history. They were offensive in Jesus' time. They are offensive in the beginning of the church, especially to the Jews, and they are offensive now. So Christian, you need to set yourself up to remember that your goal is not to be loved by the world or not to be viewed by the world or perceived by the world to be tolerant because if you pursue that, you will do it at the cost of truth. I've got a meme, a couple of memes. 
There are almost 5,000 gods being worshipped by humanity, but don't worry, only yours is right. Buddha was not a Buddhist. Jesus was not a Christian. Muhammad was not a Muslim. They were teachers who taught love. Love was their religion. Thank you, Oprah. We have a problem, don't we? Because Jesus makes it very clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was very, very clear. I want you for a moment to imagine yourself. You're going on a mission trip to India. You've been trained by a missionary organization. They've given you some resources. You fly in your first day. You're in India. You, you come to a home. It's a Hindu family. You smell the fragrance of the curry and you see the beautiful outfits and the, and the lovely smiles and you see images of gods in their home and, and they're more hospitable than any Westerner you ever met, likely. And you go there and, and, and you've been given the task to share this truth with them. And the resource that you've been given, you, you turn it open and, and they've encouraged you to start with John 14. And you want to tell them that Jesus is the only way. Imagine that for a moment. There's something inside of us that cringes. There's something inside of us that, that feels like that we're insulting what is sacred. That how, how can we tell these people that have, that have dedicated their lives to this religion that, that we are right and, and they are wrong? And, and how offensive and intolerant is that to do that to them? And we are going to face this tension. The question is, how will we respond? We don't need to fly to India. We have Hindu neighbors over the fence. We don't need to, to go to the Middle East to meet Muslims. They live among us, and praise God that they do. Because what an opportunity for us to share the love and the truth of Jesus. We will face this tension and it's clear that Jesus says that everyone who denies me here on earth, in other translations, denies me before man, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. We have to decide now because our society is not getting any more tolerant. And what drives us, what compels us? It's not to win an argument. It's not to be known to have the truth. It's because we believe that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. We truly believe that he loves this world, that he gave his life for this world. Let that us motivate us to have those conversations. Let's continue on. I want to answer this question. Aren't all religions the same? I've got a few very credible quotes. We've got Madonna and Gandhi. Madonna says, I do believe that all paths lead to God. It's a shame that we end up having religious wars because so many of the messages are the same. And Gandhi says, religions are different roads converging to the same point. What does it matter that we take different roads so long as we reach the same goal? Where is the cause for quarreling? Sounds nice. Sounds appealing. Sounds wide and not narrow. Wouldn't it be just so nice to say, Jesus is a way. 
He's a truth. He's, he's one way of life. He's one way to the Father. But that is not what he says. You know, many that make these statements about other religions often don't know a lot about other religions, honestly. They usually have a, 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 a superficial understanding or a shallow understanding. And we're going to show grace here because I guess to the blind eye, there are some similarities in religions. Um, they worship some form of higher power. They emphasize morals, most reference an afterlife. But I want to show you and uh, demonstrate to you through a, a mountain analogy, which is out of the book. I've got, a, I've got a, another little image up there to show us. And it's this idea that Gandhi has just propagated and uh, Madonna, that, that ultimately we take different paths, but we get to the same mountaintop, the same God. But I want to show you for a moment by comparing some other religions that, that in fact religions are not all the same. In fact, the core beliefs of different religions clash with each other over and over. That this statement is false. So I want to show you first what Christianity is. This is what we believe. And I want to go through three main areas that are three core issues. It's who is God? Who is Jesus? And how does one attain the afterlife? These are the core the core tenets of our faith. And often this is the way to determine whether it is a true gospel a true Jesus or a false gospel. Let's look at Hinduism. Who is God? Well, Hinduism has millions of gods. There are three major gods, Vishnu, Siva, and Brahma. On top of those, there are all the other gods, but these three are the centerpiece. Hinduism is polytheistic. They have many gods. Polytheistic meaning more than one. Jesus to them was a wise teacher, and he could be one of many gods, but he certainly is not the only way to God. Jesus is viewed as someone who may achieve a state of self-realization corresponding to one of the goals of Hinduism, which is Dharma. In the afterlife, when a person dies, they are reincarnated to pay off their karmic debt, eventually becoming one with Brahman. What I want you to see here is that God is not one. He is many. That Jesus is not God, that he is just a wise teacher to them. And in the afterlife, you must, it is based on your behavior. It is based on what you do that will attain you a certain quality of life. For a moment, let me just switch back to Christianity. Our belief is there is one God who is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he was there from the beginning with the Father and is eternal, always existed forever. He is the way to salvation through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. The afterlife, getting to heaven or hell, is not based on what we do, but on whether we have trusted in Jesus. Going to hell is based on what you do, but going to heaven is not based on what you do. Key difference, one God. Jesus is the Son of God. He was there in the beginning. He is the I am, as he says in John 8. And to obtain salvation is not by works, but it is by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Let's look at Islam. Islam says there is one God, Allah. But Allah is a distinctively different God than the God described by Jewish and Christian beliefs as revealed in the Bible. Jesus is a prophet, one of many. 
but not of the Son of God. He didn't die and rise again. And attaining the afterlife has nothing to do with Jesus. To attain afterlife in Islam, there's a paradise and there's a place of punishment. And it's based on weighing the good and bad you have done in your life. Who still thinks that all religions are the same? It's clear just by looking at these few examples that the past end up not at the same mountaintop, not the same God at all, but at completely different mountaintops altogether. The God of Islam, the God of Hinduism, the many other gods are not the God of Christianity. They are not the God of the Bible. And we can do this with all world religions, and what we'll find is they can't all be right. They clash. Either one is right and all others are wrong, or they're all wrong. There's no in-between. Sorry, Gandhi and Madonna. Either Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead three days later, or he didn't. Paul emphasizes this, belief in the resurrection is necessary for salvation. It is core to our belief. You know, Christianity can get a bad rap at times for making these exclusive claims that Jesus is the only way. Even if the belief is that all paths lead to God, you are suggesting that those who don't hold that belief are wrong. How intolerant. We live in a, in a, in a, a reality of truth and lies. There is an absoluteness of truth and an absoluteness of falseness. You might be saying, but Kieran, there are some similarities. You're being a bit unfair, you know, and I, and, I can, and I can show you that actually those similarities can point us to the reality that, that in every human being there is this desire to worship God. We can see that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He says that in his word. This is a desire to live on forever, which religions often emphasize in, in afterlife. We see that scripture says that God has written the law on people's hearts of knowing what is wrong and what is right. In religions, you see an emphasis of morality, a realization that we've done wrong and that there needs to be a consequence. Hence, as we see in Islam, the weighing of good versus bad, that's their attempt to do that, or karma, doing good works. When people are in times of crisis, what do they do? They look up. And they pray. There is something in us that says there is a higher power. There is a creator. We are fully dependent on him for our existence. And so at a surface level, you, you could say they're saying some similar things. But as we've just seen by, by looking, and I encourage you to keep looking deeper, that we are, we are worshipping very different gods. We cannot be united and all come to the same path or lead to the same mountaintop. I want to show you here for a moment about a false Jesus and a false gospel. You know, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 to 4, to the Corinthian church. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He goes on to say within the same chapter, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
What he's saying is that there are going to be people that share a different Jesus, a different gospel, same language, but different altogether, false. And that there were these people going around and they were propagating these messages and, and they masquerade as people of the light. But in fact, they are not because that is how Satan operates. He is not overt. He's not obvious a lot of times, Satan. He is deceitful. He is cunning. You know, there are many great things in, in a lot of these religions, but they masquerade as light when they are not the way, the truth, and the life. You know, some even use the same language, and I just want to take a moment to look at this very briefly. We see that Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and even self-help gurus like Jordan Peterson, if you've heard of him, will use the term Jesus and the term gospel. But I'm telling you that they don't mean the same thing. They do not mean the same thing. In fact, they mean a false Jesus and a false gospel. I want to show you this by looking at Mormonism. I've got a, a little slide. You might have seen this image on the top of Mormon temples to stimulate your your mind. Mormonism started in the US and it's, it's increasing in Australia as well. I want to show you the same thing about what Mormons believe and how they have a very different Jesus and a very different gospel. God is not one God in Mormonism, but is the offspring of many other gods. Mormonism teaches that God the Father is a resurrected, exalted human being named Elohim, who was at one time not God. Rather, he was once a mortal man on another planet, who through obedience to the precepts of his God, eventually attains exaltation or Godhood, himself through eternal progression. Like him, we, you, we can all become a God one day of a planet if we follow the same path of obedience. And this is a direct quote. Hence, if Jesus had a father, can we not believe that he had a father also? I will preach the plurality of the gods. That is from uh, Joseph Smith himself. They do not believe in the same God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is created. And you can become like him if you obey and one day you will be a God of another planet. Afterlife, salvation is a progressive view. It's about my obedience. It's about an obedience to the law and precepts. It's about your righteousness. It's about progression. In short, it's about your works. Paul condemns this in Galatians as the gospel of works is a false gospel. They say in their Book of Mormon, and they've directly quoted from Ephesians and twisted it, Joseph Smith himself, you are saved by faith through grace after all you can do. Satan masquerades himself as a light. He twists and he deceives. And he has deceived many through false Jesuses and false gospels. And this is so important. Because if you have a false Jesus, then you have no Jesus at all because he doesn't exist. And if you have no Jesus that does not exist, then you cannot come to the Father and you cannot be right with Him. You stand guilty before God and under His judgment of guilt. You are not saved if you do not know the true Jesus. We can see with all of these religions that we've looked at, I'm not trying to throw stones at, at people 
uh, p- particularly. I'm not trying to attack them. I'm trying to show you that, that God has revealed himself to be one God, that God has sent his son and that he claims to be there from the beginning, right from the beginning, not created, that he came and that he lived a perfect life. He was no mere man, although he was fully man, but he was no mere man. He perfectly obeyed the law in every single way. Therefore, he was the Lamb of God, the only one that could go to the cross and take on our sin, your sin, upon himself and pay for the debt that was ours, the debt and the consequence of our sin, which is death. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. No other man, no other prophet, no other false Jesus could have done that apart from Jesus, wonderful counselor, almighty God. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Every other religion claim, the founders of those other religions claim they are prophet to help you find God. But Jesus says, I am God, come to find you. I am God, come to find you. Buddha said, my teachings point the way to attainment of the truth. He never professed to know the truth, Buddha. Muhammad said, the truth has been revealed to me. Jesus says, I am the truth. This is the Jesus that we worship. He is like no other. He cannot be compared. His good news through him, his gospel is like no other. It is not based on your works like all of these other religions. Because if it was based on your works, if your good works and your bad works were weighed against each other, you will stand guilty before God. That is not justice. If it's based on your behavior, Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. You fall short. Your attempts at good works are filthy rags before God. You are judged as guilty before God. You have fallen short. You have up, not upheld the law of God. We can see this throughout humanity. It's easy to see in others, isn't it? But we can see it in ourselves. We cannot reach God with our works, with our attempt of perfection and that's why we needed one who is greater than us who is greater than Moses the one that was there in the beginning the one that was perfect in every way that he would come as fully man and fully God that he would come and he would take on our sin that he would obey the law perfectly that he would be the perfect sacrifice to wipe away our sin And the judgment would be laid on him. And then three days later that he would raise himself. It says in scripture, Jesus says to the disciples in John, he says that this temple will be knocked down in three days and and and, and I will raise it up. And then he says he was referring to his own body. He rises from the grave. Our God is a living God. He is not dead, but he is alive. And he raises from the dead, defeating death, showing that he has overcome death, overcome sin. And as the thief on the cross, he offers everyone simply by faith, by trusting in his sacrifice, that we would be made righteous like he is righteous. Can you hear it? 
It's a sweetness of His grace unlike no other message. It is not a message of works. It is not a message of mere man or a prophet. It is a message that says that God has come and He has made a way for us to be right with Him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, here this morning, some of you know this Jesus. Many of you, this is church, right? We're, we're worshiping his name. And I'm hoping that I'm reminding you this morning that the Jesus that we are able to preach, that it is worth being viewed as intolerant when we realize how great our Jesus is and how great his good news is to a dying world, to a world that stands condemned before a holy God. Would it compel us? Would the love of Jesus compel us to tell our Hindu neighbor that Jesus is the only way? That they don't need to strive with their behavior and their works just to, to think, well, what will I come back to next in the next life? What will I be? I've, I've stuffed up again. Or, or those who are Muslims who think, oh, my good works and my bad works are weighed against each other. I'm not sure what Allah is going to say when I make it before him. How will he judge me? Jesus says, it is finished. It is about what I have done. And that is our message. And it is a message like no other. I'm going to encourage the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a, a song that's particularly uh, in relation to that. In Acts 4, 12, Jesus, Jesus' name, I think it's Peter that refers to this. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must saved. I encourage you to stand with us. This morning, if you do not know Jesus and God is speaking to you and the gospel is sweet to your ears. You can, you can, you can hear it and you realize that you are a sinner, that you've fallen short, but, but you've heard a message that Jesus took your sin upon himself and you want to respond to this morning. I call you to repent, to turn from your sin, to turn from your own ways, even your own works, and to trust in Jesus Christ, the living God. Trust in what he did on that cross. And this morning, if, if you're someone who has grown uh, lacking in boldness about this message, you, 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 you shy away from sharing this good news because you're worried about how people will view you. Can, can I encourage you to be emboldened this morning, to be compelled by His love, to be those that will speak, that will share that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we honour you this morning. Jesus, we honor you this morning. We thank you that before Abraham was, you say, I am. That Jesus, you said that you were the bread of life. You said that you were the word in the beginning. You said that you were the king, that you were the prophet, the high priest. Jesus, you are all that we have needed. You are all that every religion is craving for. Every zealous person, Lord, who is searching for you. Jesus, you are the answer. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. Let your name be exalted, Jesus. The only name that can save. The only sacrifice that could pay for our sins. 
the only Lord and King who came down, who humbled himself and came to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you this morning. Amen. Let's continue to worship.